0: My Savior God. sings my song. Truly a favorite, How Great Thou Art, in honor of the birthday of Marilyn Borden. That's a truly uh, honorable hymn. Uh, it's one of my favorites. You may be seated as we turn to our praise song in honor and glory of Twin Cities. Hop, red praise number 98. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Red praise. amen our scripture is um, taken from luke's gospel 14th chapter verses one through six and just in case mike doesn't show up robin says she'll fill for mike, which i really appreciate let's bow in a word of prayer this morning father we just want to thank you for this beautiful morning it's just so tranquil i it reminds me of many times when i worked on road construction and and we were in that in-between times of either going to work or or being called not to work. And we just kind of crawl back into our campers and wait for the boss to come on, knock on the door and say, Rise and shine, ready to go to work. Father, we are here in the sanctuary of the Lord inquiring on God's benefits. As we feel that anticipation of fall, upon the breeze, the autumn leaves are carried thither and yon. We thank you for our Sunday school class, for end, those who attend. We realize that the culmination of the summer months are coming to an end. It seems that the, the grass is beginning to rest, not quite as quickly as we'd like, but There's still lawns to be mowed and grass to be cut. One moment, then they're gone. They're tossed about in and out. They fly across the way. And up and down, they sail around the wind they must obey. Now, if you please, the autumn leaves are much like most of us. We're tossed about by fear and doubt and things we dare discuss. This need not be for you on me there is a sure way. There is a solid rock that will bear the shock no matter what the fray. The one who believes is not like the leaves that drift with every wind, that our faith is fixed in God unmixed with doubts that Satan sends. We pray for a hedge of protection around our worship service today. We Pray, Father, that you bless and anoint Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Bless those who are traveling and those who are in the midst of transition. We pray they may not drift from there with the wind. We thank you for the safe return of Gary and Kathy and the restorative faith and, and strength. We pray for Jeannie and Joe as they travel on a Eastern Coast, and for Janet, and the Peterson, for the Peterson family, and we pray for the Woods family. We pray for other families that, by way of television and radio and other means of communication, that their faith may be fixed, and in God, it's unmixed with doubts that Satan sends, that as we walk with God while earth we Fraud, that each one of us are led by God's powerful divine. And when life is through beyond the blue, that will dwell in lands sublime, remind us, O oh Lord, that just as harvest time comes, and as I grew up on the farm, the culmination of a wonderful summer, and each summer was wonderful. Do we need to have a reason that we can plant seeds of hope in and out of every season? We can reap souls to Jesus no matter the time of the year, and it doesn't have to be autumn. Harvest time is always here for the Christians. The opportunity of outreach and upreach. As many churches are culminating in their summer by their September rallies, we Pray that the seeds of faith can be planted into the hearts of everyone, whether under snowy covers or the warm blankets of the sun, that we can gather in the lost, bring back a wandering soul and an uncertain future. It doesn't have to be fall for the harvest God controls. For truly in God's period in God's Harvest time, it's always harvest time. We don't need to leave or to have a season. We can sow seeds of eternal hope in and out of every season. And we ask, O oh Lord, that as autumn comes and fall comes and many hues, some are vivid, some are mellow, but the one that, that's the prettiest to each and every one It's sometimes the back-to-school bus of the yellow to mom and dad. And to the many moms and dads, to the many fairgoers, to many students that are going back to either their school or college or graduate activities, we just pray that that you would bless them to the fairgoers. Provide guidance and protection and blessing. and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Those by way of television and by radio, our scripture lesson is taken from Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 6. If you happen to be listening to many of the national, national television broadcasts are are also utilizing the um, lectionary, and this is a lectionary Text where Jesus heals the person with dropsy. God bless the reading and the hearing of his word according to Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read the scripture first. Reading now from Luke's chapter, verses 1 through 6, the 14th chapter. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader, leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath day they were watching Jesus closely have you ever been watched closely in our Sunday school class today it was brought out that many of the people that we run into it may be we may be the only Jesus that people see and here people were watching Jesus just as people are watching you and I Just then in front of Jesus, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and the Pharisees, is it lawful? Is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him with him, healed him, and sent him on his way. And then he said to them, if one of you if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word today.
1: Good morning, brothers and sisters. As Randy just read about healing stuff, when my question is this. I'm gonna elaborate on the, have you been watched? That answer should be for each and every one of us, yes. Because when people see Christians, they see us as judgmental, they see us as, they see us as pointing shame and pointing fingers. And I'll tell you, being a bar musician, you were I am, you are watched every second. You walk in that bar, you are watched. That first note played, you are watched and you are judged. And for me, had knowing very well that I could be right here on a Sunday, three days prior from playing, I take that very seriously. Because people can take things out of context. How many of you have had people say to you, they watch what you did and take it out of context? We need to be mindful of that, especially with all the cameras that we have. And one of the things I want to say to you is, When Yeshua spoke in the Torah and the Pharisees about healing on the Sabbath, in Jewish law, nothing is done on Shabbat, but there are circumstances that do fall within Torah, like if you get hurt or if something drastic happens, and then that is still within the law of Torah with Shabbat. Basically, on the Shabbat day, you don't go shopping, you don't go to Mall of America, you don't go to football games, you don't go to movie theaters, nothing pleasure, just delight in the Lord. And that's what it's basically saying here, which of you, if your son fell in a well, would you merely pull him out even though it's Sabbath? Of course you would. And Christ knows that. And so he does have stipulations within Shabbat where we are to worship him from sundown to sundown starting Friday night the Saturday. And so he does give us that, but he also knows we as humans, we, we as humans always break, always break the commandments. Show me one person in this room that's perfect. Show me one person in this world that's perfect, because I sure can't.
0: Thank you for that word, Robin, and Robin always comes prepared. She's just ready to step in for Mike. I. Not sure what happened to Mike. He um, he called me a couple of different times this past week about the scripture, and I texted him a couple of times. And uh, pray for Mike and Tina. They um, struggle with some real insurmountable challenges. I'm reminded of this passage of scripture here because very very early in my life, I, I got a nickname, and it was called Rev. It was kind of a combination between having one of the fastest cars in the area at a 429 Cobra Jet Torino, and at that time, you know, that was, that was really fast. And I had a number of other fast cars. But then, when we ever went to Clarissa Ballroom, and people knew that I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, you know, I was always tried to emphasize academics and athletics, and boy, in order to be on any of the teams, you know, if you ever were caught smoking or drinking, you were out for the season, out for the season. And all the bouncers at the the teen center there in Clarissa Ballroom um, called me Rev, or some of them called me the minister. And even from an early age of 15 years old, when I got my farmer's permit, I was even one of the youngest in my, my class, but I got the wheels, had the wheels, and provided transportation. And when we'd go to the Clarissa Ballroom, which is still in existence to, to today. They have a lot of anniversaries and a lot of events that, there. I'd walk through the door and come, bouncers would come up to me and a number of my friends that I were with, and they'd say, how you doing, Rev, you know, the minister? And it was, I took it kind of uh, as, um, you know, a criticism because of the morality and the ethics that I stood out and stood for. But let us mark, in this passage here, in this passage here, it stands out to me how our Lord Jesus Christ accepted the hospitality. You need to accept the hospitality of those who are not his disciples. We read that Jesus went into the house of one of the, what? Chief, chief Pharisees to eat bread and we cannot reasonably suppose that this Pharisee was a friend of Christ. He was not. Christ was always under suspicion. I can think of a political leader of the past who was always under suspicion and criticism. Even when he's out of office, they're criticizing him, following him. But Jesus was like that. It's more probable that he only did what was customary for a man in his position. Jesus was considered a rabbi, a teacher, an itinerant itinerant evangelist, always kind of on the move. And he saw a stranger in this Pharisee, this leader, it says leader of the Pharisees. It is more probable that he only did what was customary for a man in his position. He saw a stranger teaching religion, whom some regarded as a prophet. And he invited Jesus to eat at his table. That's like you and I today running into Franklin Graham, or some great religious teacher, and inviting him to our house and just their presence. The point that most concerns you and I today is, is this that when the invitation, This point concerns you and I is just that that when the invitation was given, it was accepted by Jesus. Jesus knowing all, seeing all, he kind of knew what they were up to. And if we want to know how our Lord carried himself at a Pharisee's table, we have only to read attentively the the 24 verses of this chapter. There's a vacillation that goes on here. We shall find Jesus the same there that he was elsewhere. Jesus was the same, always about his what? His Father's business. Much like you and I, we should always be about our Father's business. There are those I oftentimes remind you and and thank you for those who are tuning in by television and radio and YouTube and Facebook and other means of communication we're getting out there. The word, we're getting a number of hits, are, you know, inquiries, and people that are faithful followers, thankful, so very thankful for Robin as she so diligently he takes her Sundays and much time during the week to make sure that we're covered by every means possible. To get the word out, we now find that the same Jesus was always about his father's business, and you and I need to be about our father's business. We shall see... Jesus, first defending, he first defends the, the, the true observance of the Sabbath day. He begins to expound to those who were bidden together with him the nature of what? True humility. What the world needs today, folks, is true. True humility. Then urging on his host, the the character and the reflection that Jesus reflected was true hospitality, humility, and and hospitality, and finally delivering the most opposite and striking, terrible parable, parable of the Great Supper. And all this is done in the most wisest, the most wisest, and calm and dignified manner. I'm probably at my fiftieth reading of the, the Bible, one of the last Bibles that I've, I've used is kind of the one-year Bible, and I normally go through it in nine months, and this, this one Bible alone I've gone through 13, 14 times, and I, I hold it very sacred to me as I do my sacred pulpit Bible, And all this is done by Jesus in the most wise and calm and dignified manner. The words are all words in season at the appropriate time, at the appropriate place. And the speech is always with grace, the grace of God. And many of you realize that as I define the word grace, it's always G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And the speech is always with grace. It's uh, seasoned with with salt, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. And the perfection, the perfection of our Lord's conduct appears on this as it does in all occasions. Jesus always said the right thing at the right time and in the right place. Jesus never forgot for a moment that who he was and where he was. Who he was and where he was. He used to play with a couple of musical groups, the Eagle Valley Playboys and the Versatiles, until I busted my finger, and it, it seems like that finger is the one that, if I'm not getting it around football helmets and getting drugged around the football field, shooting it off during deer season, the last deer season, I split that finger wide open and spent the day in intensive care. Now, the example of Christ in this passage deserves the very close attention of all Christians and especially of ministers of the gospel and people who are in leadership as as Christians. If you hold a leadership position in the Church of Jesus Christ, it throws strong light, very strong light, on some of the most difficult, difficult of points. The conversation, the intercourse among unconverted people, unconverted people, and the extent to which we should carry on, carry on, the manner in which we should behave when we are with them, the unconverted, the unsaved, our Lord has left us a very pattern, a very pattern for our for our endeavors to walk, to walk in Jesus' steps. We want to walk in Jesus' steps. We we ought not to withdraw entirely from all the conversation, the intercourse with un, unconverted people. It it would be it would be a form of cowardice, cowardness and indolence to do so, even if it were possible. I mentioned the uh, Clarence Ballroom, and it seemed like every Friday night, there was a fight that would break out. And I remember a group of Brainerd guys coming down, busting bottles, and scaring the girls and the guys, and the fights that would break out. And I don't think it's quite as wild today as it was then. But it would be cowardice and indolence to do so, even if it were possible to separate us from the, the worldly, it would shut us out from any opportunities of doing good. But we ought to go into their society very moderately, very watchfully, watchfully and prayerfully, and with a firm, firm resolution to carry our master in our master's business with us, the Lord Jesus Christ's business. The house from which Christ is deliberately excluded, the house where there's a deliberation of the exclusion of Christ is not the house at which Christians ought to receive hospitality and keep up any form of intimacy. The extent to which we should carry our intercourse and our communication with the unconverted is a point which... Each believer must settle for themselves. I grew up in somewhat of an Amish community, and it was they considered themselves two by twos. Marge Old, who was a member of our congregation, wore her hair in a certain way, and had friends that were associated with the, the tabers. The tabers were not a part of this, basically, a cult, but that particular cult didn't believe in televisions. They wore their hair a certain way, and had certain rituals and routines they did study the Bible not only on Sundays but Sunday nights and Thursday Bible studies and they met in the homes and I fellowshiped with them quite quite frequently but we ought to go into their society very moderately very watchfully and prayerfully and, and with this firm re- resolution to carry out the witness and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The extent to which we should carry out this communication this intercourse with the unconverted is a point which each believer must settle for themselves. Answer, answer for themselves. Some may go further than others in this direction with an advantage to their company and without injury to themselves. According to 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse seven, Everyone hath their proper gifts. There are two questions which we should often put to ourselves. Two questions we are called to put to ourselves in reference to the subject. Do we or do I in, in company spend all our time in light and worldly conversations? And they may be the best of our friends. They may be friends that we grew up with. They may be friends that have befriended us before even our birth, that were friends of our parents or our grandparents. But are they truly friends of Christ? Or do we endeavor to follow, however feebly, the example of Christ? The society in which we we cannot answer these questions satisfactorily as the society or the group of people for which we had better withdraw. better withdraw. When you get as old as myself, and some of you are older than me, you realize how quickly time passes and each decade as it passes. So long as we go into the company as Christ went into the Pharisee's house, we we shall take no harm. And let us mark secondly, secondly, in this passage, how our Lord was watched, how he was truly watched by his enemies. I don't think that you know modern-day Christianity really realizes how much you are watched. Christianity has taken on a, a truly different definition in in the last few years. I know it's one thing to talk about religiosity. One of my first encounters with this was when I was pastor at Deer River. had a retired governor, Governor Carl Rogan, who sponsored me into military academies, along with Old Lanning. He happened to retire up in in Tel Moon, and he, he sponsored AA group that met in the Methodist Church in Deer River and on Monday evenings. Carl went through a tough time leaving politics and shortly after he was an ambassador to Iceland and Carl and I had numerous conversations and I remember one conversation I mentioned to Carl, he was at the hospital, and I said, Carl, If you were to die, for you to die, if you were to die, you were to die would, do you know that you're going to heaven? Carl said, You know, I've been a Lutheran. I've been a Lutheran for many years. And, and I said, Carl, sometimes I call him governor. Governor, did you? That's uh, not what I asked you. I didn't ask you if you went to church. I asked you if you were to die tonight you have the peace and the hope that you're going to heaven? Well, I've I've been with the Nixons and I've been with the Kennedys and and I remember him talking about his religious affiliations with others and I said, Carl, I don't, and I haven't asked you if you're a hope so or think so or Christian, but do you know, do you know your relationship with Jesus Christ? I prayed with Carl. I prayed with Carl. And I shared with him the three tenets of Christianity that A, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. B, we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And belief means not only an adherence to intellectual belief, but in a behavioral belief. And then C, we need to confess him before others. Much as I address you today, we all need these ABCs of That all of us, from pulpit to pew, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to be, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we need to see, confess him as our Lord and Savior. And we find here, as we mark the second in this passage, how our Lord was watched by his enemies. We read that when Jesus went to eat bread on the Sabbath day in the house of a Pharisee, they watched him, they watched him. W-A-T-C-H, watch. Now the circumstances here recorded is only a type of what our Lord was constantly, constantly, constantly subjected to. All through his earthly ministry he was watched. The eyes of his enemies were continually observing him. They watched for his haltings and waited eagerly for some word or some deed on on which they could lay hold and build this accusation. Much as the unsaved, the unconverted in our worlds, they, they wanna build this accusation. Yet they found none. Our blessed Lord was ever holy, ever holy, ever harmless, ever undefiled, and he was separate. He separated himself from evil separated himself from evil. That's why it's such a glorious time when you come to church. And during the week, every day Chris and I come, and we run into members of j or the gathering and Christian fellowship, Christian fellowship, talking about the church, talking about Christianity. In Jesus they found no reason for an accusation Our blessed Lord was ever holy, was ever harmless, was ever undefiled, and separate from the world, separate from evil. Perfect indeed must that life have been in which the bitterest enemy could could find no flaw, could find no blemish, could find no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He that desires to serve Christ, the one that desires to serve Christ must make up their minds to be watched. You are being watched, you are being observed no less than your master. You must never forget that the eyes of the world are always upon you. Sometimes I, I sense a differentiation when talking to people and they find out I'm a Christian. But I find out more of a differentiation when they find out I'm a minister. It seems like, wow, they clean up their conversation. I thought, should have been cleaned up in the first answer, I am a Christian. We must never forget the eyes of the world are around us and that the wicked are always looking narrowly at our ways, narrowly at our ways. Specifically and especially, we ought to remember that when we go into the society of the unconverted, If they make a slip, or if we make a mistake there in word or in deed, and we act inconsistently, we may rest assured that it will not—it will not be forgotten. Let us endeavor to live daily, live daily in the sight of a of a very holy God. So living, it will matter little how much we are watched. We are watched by an ill-natured and a very malicious, a malicious world, let us exercise ourselves to have consciences. May we have consciences that are void, completely void of offense, void of offense towards God and humanity and to do nothing which can give occasion to our Lord's enemies to blaspheme. The things These things are possible. By the grace of God, it can be done. The the haters of biblical characters, the haters of Daniel, Daniel stands out in my mind today, the haters of Daniel were obliged to confess. Though they hated Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, 5, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it not against him concerning the law of God. And last, as we close today, last let us mark in this passage how our Lord asserts, how Jesus asserts the lawlessness, the lawlessness of, of doing works of mercy on the Sabbath day. We, we read that he healed a man who had the dropsy on the Sabbath day and then said to the lawyers and the, the Pharisees, which of you, which, which of you, and I can see Jesus kind of taking his finger and pointing at each of them, which of you shall, shall have an, an ass or a donkey or an oxen fall into a pit, a child or a pit, and, and will not straightaway pull that person or that animal out on the Sabbath day? This was a, a home thrust which could not be, could be parleyed. I remember once in my ministry at Deer River, one of our members of our church, Mike Sincola had been out fishing on the ice and the storm broke on. It was a Christmas Eve and storm broke on, and he wasn't back for our 315 Christmas Eve service and we, we kind of delayed church and we looked for Mike on Deer Lake And he got so disorganized and uh, disassociated, he couldn't see the banks of of Deer Lake, and he just kind of wandered around in circles. His parents thought he'd been lost because it it was cold and he was temporarily lost. Which of you shall have an ass or an ox Fallen into a pit, the child will not straightaway pull and provide safety on the Sabbath day. It is written. It is written. They could not answer Jesus again. Now the qualifications which our Lord here puts on the requirements of the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment, is evidently found, founded on Scripture and it's founded on reason. It's founded on common sense. The Sabbath was made for you and I. The Sabbath was made for you and I for our benefit, not for our injury, for our advantage, not for our hurt. The interpretation of God's law expecting and respecting the Sabbath was never intended to be strained so far as to interfere with charity and love and kindness and, and the real wants of human nature, but many people have used it for almost frivolous ways of travel and entertainment. They require that which fallen man cannot perform and, and thus bring the whole commandment into disrepute. Our Lord saw this very clearly and labored throughout his ministry to restore to bring the Sabbath to a restoration, this precious part of God's law to its just and righteous decision. The principle which our Lord laid down about the Sabbath observance, the Sabbath observance needs carefully and prayerfully fencing in with cautions. The right to do works, works of, of necessity, and mercy is fearfully abused in in these latter days. Thousands and thousands of Christians appear to have thrown down the hedge of protection of God's word, forsaking not the assembling of one another together and and burst the bounds entirely with respect to this very holy day. It seems to, they seem to have forgot that though our Lord repeatedly explains the requirements of the fourth commandment he never struck it out of the law of god to not honor or obey the sabbath or said that it was not binding on all christians at all and can anyone say that sunday traveling except on very rare emergency is a work of mercy will anyone tell us that sunday trading or sunday dining parties sunday excursions and trains and planes and railways, Sunday deliveries of letters and newspapers are works of mercy, have servants and, and shopmen and engine drivers and coachmen and clerks and porters and no souls, do they not need the rest? Do they not need the rest for their bodies and time for their souls like others of us? These are very serious questions and ought to make us think as people of God Whatever others do, let us resolve to keep the Sabbath holy, keep the Sabbath holy. God has a controversy with the churches about Sabbath desecration. It is a sin of which they cry, and a cry goes up to heaven and will be reckoned with for one day, At one day, and let us wash our hands of this sin and have nothing to do with it. If others are determined to rob God, to rob God and take possession of the Lord's day for their own selfish ends. Let us not be partakers in their sins. Father God, this morning we thank you, Father, for the gathering, church, for Hop, We thank you for those who have gathered with us today and those by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook and other means of communication. May we make a a pledge and a, a commitment to keep God's day holy. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let us dedicate and rededicate our lives to Christ by saying, dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me, for shedding your blood for me, for forgiving me, for coming into my heart and life Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers come up this morning for your tithes and offerings, let us turn to our offertory prayer. If you would pray this prayer with me as we truly make a dedication to separating ourselves from evil. Um, there is a card in the back, and if you have an opportunity to sign that card for Elsie Boquist, Elsie is a significant, a very significant donor of our church. I happened to sp- speak to her here a number of days ago, and she made a truly phenomenal donation to our church, and if there are those by way of Airways, um, Facebook, Bit2, and other means of communication on um, television, if you can... Support our ministry. It's greatly appreciated. Let us um, repeat this prayer printed in our bulletin. Renewing and refreshing God. Fill our thirsty souls with your living water. As Jesus promised to the woman at the well and as Jeremiah reminded the prophets, this water is ours if we keep our focus on you and don't chase other gods. May the offering we make this day mark our commitment to keeping our eyes on our hearts and set a closer walk with you we pray in the name of jesus our rock and redeemer amen and our offertory hymn is in honor and dedication to the great work of the gathering the gathering church if you haven't seen our nursery and in the bright lights that lighten our church they've changed the number of the um, light bulbs that were not working in the sanctuary and other places in the church. So, O Jesus, I have promised purple number 396 in honor and glory of the gathering church. One and four. Would you stand for the doxology, please? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Creator God, who brought forth the world as your vineyard, provided every needed resource, and asked only that we bear good fruit. And as we give our offerings, remind us again of the fruit you desire, justice and righteousness are the ones your prophet Isaiah suggests. Forgive us for the times when our offerings have fallen short and when the only fruit you've received is our own self-centeredness. Help us bear the fruit that brings you joy. In the name of your Son, our Teacher and Savior, we pray. Amen. If there's any announcements, you want to make sure you clear them with the uh, praise team.